Welcome back, everyone. We have an exciting episode to get into today. We're going to be looking at this story fund, and I'll be going over every single holding I own, every single position, and why I'm still invested in these companies, even though the market right now does not like them. The market's selling out of these companies. I'm buying in. That's the transaction that's happening right now. And you can see the total returns right now, the $31,000 of losses. So, so far, this portfolio is in the red. It hasn't gone great. And I'm going to show it anyways with complete transparency, because as I've mentioned, we do things differently on this channel. If you're new here, this isn't a channel where we only show when things are good and then we kind of fade away into the background when things are bad, right? I show whether or not things are good or bad with complete transparency every single week, week by week, and I'll continue to throughout now till the end of 2025. That's kind of the end goal for this little experiment with this portfolio. Now, right now, like I said, the market is very difficult. This portfolio has, it's held up okay. It hasn't done really as poorly as some other ones that are extremely speculative, right? Um, but it hasn't done as good as portfolios that are very conservative. For example, I have another portfolio here called the passive income account. This is a dividend portfolio with a lot more of these kind of mature consumer companies that just you know, sell the same products. They've been around for a long time. They have high amounts of free cash flow. And this one's held up a lot better over the past year. It's just performed a ton better. In fact, you can look at just today as an example. Today, it's up 0.77%, $2,600. Let's go ahead and compare that with the story fund. Story fund's in the red, 0.6%. So the passive income account's going up, the story fund's going down. That's the story for the past, uh, past year. But regardless, even though this portfolio is doing poorly, even though it doesn't look good right now, I wanna be transparent and show the update because I feel like a lot of people on social media when they have a bad result, they kind of shy away from actually showing it to their audience. And I think that that's a mistake because in, in investing, every investor goes through periods of time of underperformance, every single one of them. And every single drawdown that Peter Lynch had over his 13 years of outperformance, every single time the market went down, his portfolio went down more. He said he was 100% on with that. Nine out of nine times when the market went down over 10%, Peter Lynch's portfolio went down 15 or 20%. It was not a conservative portfolio. Every time the market took a huge dive, Peter Lynch's went down more. But because he had a level head and he held on to his companies, when the market recovered and it went back into bullish uh, greed mode, his portfolio would outperform to a huge extent. So I look at Peter Lynch as an example. We also have the example of Warren Buffett. In 2020, Warren Buffett was underperforming. In fact, all the, the exciting stocks, all the consumer stocks, the ARK Invest type of stocks were going up like crazy. And people said that Warren Buffett is old news. He doesn't know what he's doing in this new technology-driven world. And he underperformed in 2020. Now Berkshire Hathaway is outperforming, right? So Warren Buffett had to go through a period of underperformance before now outperforming the market. And you can see the same thing with Terry Smith and Fundsmith. They're going through a period of underperformance as well, uh, so on and so forth. There's endless examples of great investors that beat the market over a long period of time, but they have to go through a period of underperformance during that process. Now, another thing that I've done is I've put together a timeline of events that I think will be really fun to go through. Here's what it looks like. This is the story fund against the S&P 500, and I've gone and annotated every single major event that's happened over the past year or so that's led to this outcome. And I want to go through this with you. I'll go through each and every point and kind of give you a better idea of how we got to this point. So 
I think this will be a lot of fun. So with that said, we have a lot to get to in this episode. And before we jump in, I just want to mention that I do have a Patreon. It is a community of investors where we discuss dividend stocks, growth stocks, crypto, options, real estate, physical real estate, right? There's lots of different chats and discussions and people that specialize in all different things. If you want to check that out, there's a link in the description. And the reason that I mention it is because if you join right now, you will not be charged today. You won't be charged today. In fact, your first charge will be the beginning of next month. So you get a free trial from now till next month. So check that out. The link in the description below. All right, now let's go ahead and jump right in. This again is the story fund. It's an aggressive growth-centered technology-focused portfolio where I'm investing in these companies for a minimum of five years. That's my timeline. That's how I'm underwriting them. It's how I think events will unfold over the next five years. So these aren't like quick short-term trades. I'm not trying to do timely market trades of where the market will go the next three months. That's not the goal of this portfolio. Now, I track it every single week, week by week, and show the performance. And so far, it's underperformed the S&P 500. And we'll get into the reasons why. Now, before going into all of this, there is one thing I want to mention. A lot of people have said, this is why you invest in index funds, and this is why you invest in you know, ETFs. And I completely agree with diversification. And I think it needs to be pointed out time and time again, I am diversified. I do have another portfolio that is a dividend growth portfolio that invests in an entirely different type of company. So I do have companies like uh, Apple and Microsoft as big holdings in this one. I have companies like you know, Costco, Disney, Home Depot, Nike, Target, and this one that I don't have in the story fund. And I even have large positions in ETFs like SCHD, and SCHG. So I am diversified. I don't have all my money in the story fund. And in general, if you're just looking at personal financial financial tips, my thoughts are you should always max out your 401k. So if your employer has a 401k match, max out that 401k match. Next, you do your Roth IRA. Max that out every single year because that's tax-free money. After that, you can start doing the individual portfolios. And even then, you should have probably the majority of your money in ETFs. There's lots of good ones. So um, that's all the advice I'd give to anyone, generally speaking. This portfolio is all individual companies. But again, I'm already heavily diversified. I have a lot of different companies. So I'm not taking an extreme amount of concentrated risk with just the story fund. That's not where all of my net worth is. Now, let's go ahead and look at how this has worked so far. Here's an overview of everything that's happened over the past year since starting this portfolio. Let's go ahead and zoom in to where it all started. The purpose of this portfolio, the reason that I started it was I'm a content creator. I create YouTube videos. I have one channel that tracks the dividend portfolio. And that one has grown to be a very successful channel. It has about a quarter million subscribers. Uh, It gets a lot of views every single video. And it's been fun to do that. But I have had a lot of people ask, Joseph, what are your thoughts on these different tech companies, these different growth companies, right? Not just the dividend ones that you usually invest in. So I started giving my thoughts on different growth companies and tech companies, and I decided, you know what, this might make for interesting content to see my investments in tech companies over a five-year time horizon and see how they turn out. And that was when the story fund, as we know it, was kind of kind of born. That's where it started. So I start off the story fund it's 100% tech companies. And at the beginning, I had many of the smaller, more speculative tech companies. Speculation means companies that are not blue chip companies. They're not your Coca-Colas and Walmarts. They're companies that don't really have a lot of free cash flow. They might have a lot of growth, but they're diluting shareholders. Uh, They're in industries that are even more, more niche or 
in general, they're just not as established. You're speculating on them. You're taking more risk on them. The outcome of them is less certain. And my portfolio had some big tech companies that were not speculation, in my opinion, but a lot of the smaller ones that were speculation. I had a lot of companies like Peloton, CrowdStrike, Atlassian, CLTD, Shopify, DoorDash, right? These more, you know, they're just more speculative. They're more risky companies. They're smaller tech companies that are less established. And when I started the portfolio, I had a a lot of those companies, as well as a lot of blue chip companies like Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google in the portfolio. So I had a decent mix, but a good amount of the portfolio was speculative. And again, this was, this is at the tail end of 2020. At this time, you could pick a basket of speculative companies. They didn't need to have strong fundamentals and it didn't really matter. At the tail end of 2020 and all through 2020, those companies just went up every single day. Right away, my portfolio, even though it was really volatile, began to steadily outperform the S&P 500 and even the QQQ. It outperformed both of them for like the first four months. So a lot of people thought I was a genius investor then. I'm investing in these companies. They're going up every single day. People are saying I'm picking out good stocks because they're going up every day. When in reality, the reality of the situation is it was mostly momentum. These stocks just had a lot of money piling into them, pushing the prices higher and higher. And then it hit a peak right around the beginning, like February of 2021. Speculation at this time, those type of companies hit an all-time high. And you can see this, I outline it right here. This is right when the ARK Invest ETF, the flagship one, hit its almost ultimate peak. That was right here. The most speculative companies started to correct very sharply. So like a month later, you can see the dramatic decline here in price. And with ARK Invest and even the more speculative uh, portfolios, this correction was even sharper. So I have my portfolio. It starts climbing up above the S&P 500 because of massive momentum in all of these stocks. And then the market starts to get a little spooked out of the valuations and the speculative nature of these companies. And the long-awaited correction for these type of companies, including especially the ones like in ARK Invest, it finally happened. I think that was the most notable time period of 2021 when this bubble, at least the first bubble of the most speculative companies started to correct. My portfolio shot down in performance quite a bit. In fact, it went down in bounced below the S&P 500, then quickly back up. And then it started to trade more in line with the S&P 500. This is where we move on to, I think, another important part here. See, this arrow right here is pointing to where cloud computing companies and the more speculative companies hit an all-time low. The speculation, again, hit a peak right here. This is when like the ARK ETF was way at its spike. Then it traded down steeply. And the companies that really got hurt the most in April of 2021 were the cloud computing companies. But then interestingly, there is this big rally with these companies and they moved up 40% over just the next couple of months. And this is where things get really critical for my portfolio. So we'll move into that in just a second, but I just want to go through and review this for a minute. Again, I start my portfolio off the last trailing couple of months of 2020. So right at the tail end of 2020, I started up and it has a mixture of blue chip tech companies like Big Tech plus uh, Salesforce and Adobe, but I also have a lot of speculative companies that are at very lofty valuations. They trade up with momentum to outperform the S&P 500 by a huge extent. I was up above SPY by like 25%, right? So that is momentum carrying these smaller companies into the green further and further every single day. And then the big speculative bubble starts to pop. These companies shift back down, 
My big blue chip companies are not popping at this point. So my portfolio is faring okay. It moved down a little bit, but not anything critical. And then we move right here where the cloud computing companies traded down too much. They start to rally to the point where they again get to this valuation of where they were at the beginning of the year. And that's where we are throughout all this time period. And keep in mind, while all of this is happening, while all this is playing out, I'm reading more headlines about inflation and the Fed becoming more and more aggressive at raising interest rates. And I know that speculative cloud computing companies that trade at really lofty price to sales valuations way above their historical norm are probably going to do really poorly if interest rates start to rise like crazy. And that's what I'm starting to think as these companies trade up 40% in a couple of months. I'm thinking, man, they're way above their historical valuations. What I did was I looked at all these companies that I own that are the more speculative ones. And I look at the valuations compared to their historical norm over the past 10 years. And these type of companies like CrowdStrike, Atlassian, DoorDash, Facebook, CLTD, they were trading at price to sales on average of 17. 17 price to sales when their historical norm is about nine or 10. So historical norm, nine or 10, they're trading at a 17. And I'm starting to feel very uneasy about carrying these companies in my portfolio. Then I also see some really bad news with certain companies like Peloton. Peloton, for example, had this report that they're losing demand. And as soon as I saw the report that Peloton was having troubles with demand, I knew that we might be in a bubble with the stocks. So I sold off of Peloton. Facebook, I also sold because we had Mark Zuckerberg spooking investors saying that he's putting everything into reality labs and he's going to do this full metaverse change with the name change. And I sold Facebook at 350. That was one of my best sells. All of these companies were in my portfolio at one point. CrowdStrike, Atlassian, DoorDash, Facebook, CLTD, Peloton, Shopify, and Snowflake. And I sold every single one of them right around this time period. This is around, you know, September, October of of last year, of 2021. I'm selling out of all the speculative companies. And the only non-speculative company that I sell is basically Facebook because I don't like the future metaverse plans. And I explained that in a video. Now, these turned out in hindsight to be very good sells for my portfolio. I didn't know that they'd be so good when I was selling them. I thought I was just being cautious and taking some gains in companies that have run up to lofty valuations. But in hindsight, these were tremendously good uh, fortuitous sells for my portfolio. I took gains in CrowdStrike, Atlassian. I made a lot of gains in that company. DoorDash, I was pretty neutral in. I didn't really lose a lot of money or make gains in that company. Facebook, I locked in a lot of gains on at 350 a share. That was a good one to sell. Uh, CLTD, I locked in gains on that one. Peloton, I even turned out to be one of the few investors that made gains on this stock. I bought it when it was much lower and sold it at a decent valuation. Then Shopify and Snowflake, I think I did okay in both of those as well. So while I sold out of these companies and I'm feeling good about it at this point because I sold them, I think, at a good valuation. And in hindsight, these were all very good sells, right? They all took a nosedive after I sold them. So I locked in the $10,000 of gains. I'm feeling good at this point. My portfolio is still kind of keeping up with the S&P 500, even though it's a tech portfolio. So it should be underperforming it during this time. But I was doing okay. And I felt good up until this time. But unfortunately, even though I dodged the bullet of Facebook selling down 40% and PayPal selling down, you know, 70%, there was one company I kept in my portfolio that would go on to hurt my performance a lot, which was Netflix. And we'll get into that in just a minute here. After this point, we have the beginning of 2020, the end of 2021. That's right where we are right now. 
Concerns of recession, inflation, and the Fed raising interest rates continues to grow. The fear and greed meter moves to an even more fearful stance at this point. Sentiment starts to become very bearish overall, and technology companies in general start to trade down pretty aggressively. The companies that are doing good at the beginning of the year are the Berkshire Hathaway companies. This is where it's Buffett's time to shine because he has a lot of the consumer defensive companies. He has a lot of the oil companies that are just going through the roof at this point. People love the oil companies, the commodity companies. They love the defensive consumer companies, and those are trading up while tech companies start to sell off. And this is where we get to where my portfolio starts to get damaged. Okay, now we get to Netflix. Before this time period of Netflix, I wasn't really feeling too bad. In fact, I wasn't concerned at all because if you look at this, we're like 3 or 4% below the S&P 500, and that's being invested in a tech portfolio, which I should be far below, right? We have like ARK Invest that's down a ton. We have Tiger Global that's down a ton. We have Katow and all these different hedge fund managers that are down a ton when they're focused on tech companies. But because I'm mostly hiding out in big tech, my performance is doing okay. I have Google that's doing okay. I have Microsoft and Apple that's doing okay. And they're keeping my portfolio pretty much in line with the S&P 500, maybe a couple percent below it. But then we get to Netflix and things start to change. This is a doozy. This is where it just, I got my one that caused me um, some pain here. And everybody has that stock if you do individual investing, whether it's Facebook that catches you off guard or PayPal. Most people have a stock that it just doesn't go the way that you want. And for me, this one so far is Netflix. Netflix reports their Q4 report of 2021. And if you recall, this is when they're supposed to have a lot of subscribers gained. They had Squid Game blow up. They had uh, Don't Look Up, the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, right? And it's the holiday season. So they're supposed to gain a lot of subscribers. They missed their subscriber gains, or at least they barely matched them. And not only that, they gave really weak guidance for Q1 of 2022. They said that they're only going to gain 2 million subscribers compared to the street expecting 5 million, because that's normally a good quarter for them. The stock falls 30% after hours the next day because of Netflix's really poor report. And keep in mind that out of all the companies reporting, Netflix is the first one to report. It's the first big company to report which makes its report very volatile because investors don't know what to expect. So it falls 30%. Then Bill Ackman jumps in with a billion dollar buy of Netflix. It goes up like 16%. Plus a lot of my other stocks jump as well. The performance almost goes right back up to where it was. And then it starts to trade down again in a really volatile way. But even up till this point, my portfolio was doing okay. I was still in the green. Uh, I was, you know, like 10, 15% below the S&P 500, but that gap can be made up very quickly, right? So I'm not really worried at this point. And I realize that in the short term, with the Fed being hawkish and interest rates going up, that these tech companies are going to have a difficult time. But Netflix was a huge surprise. So that hurt my portfolio. Netflix, now I'm in the red. They had their first really bad report. Stock's down 30%. And I bought a little bit of the dip. Bill Ackman is in on the stock now. He bought a billion dollars of it. And I'm thinking, okay, there's still a chance with Netflix that, you know, they, they sandbag their guidance and they'll have an outperformance next quarter. And that's not what happens. So Netflix at this point is still down a lot from its all-time high. And I still have it as a significant portion of my portfolio. I have like thirteen dollars or $14,000 in it. And then they have their, their Q1 of 2022 report come out and they actually lost subscribers. And this was something that 
I don't care who you are. If you are an investor in Netflix, you are not expecting them to lose net subscribers. It's never happened in like the last 10 years. They forecasted 2 million gain and they lost 200,000. A massive miss on their forecast. And Bill Ackman, me, the rest of the street, investors are shocked at it. Uh, and deservedly, the, the stock sells down 40%, an additional 40%. So now overall, I'm down 50, 60% on Netflix. I've lost over half of my money on this individual holding. So Netflix has hurt my portfolio a lot. But just in general, a lot of the companies that I was in the green on, Adobe, Salesforce, Microsoft, Apple, Google, they're starting to give up some gains as well and trade back down. So the portfolio just at this point, with this Netflix miss again, it just crushes the performance right now. Now to add on to this, I had a, you know, this is a double whammy here because right after Netflix gives this awful report, I mean, this was just a fundamentally terrible report by Netflix and the stock deservedly fell 40%. We have Amazon right afterwards, just a couple weeks later, giving their first quarter report, which was disappointing. Now, there is some significant differences here. I think that Netflix's was really fundamentally bad. Like the, the report was just awful. Uh, Amazon's, I don't think so. I think the street is is overreacting, in my opinion. Um, I think that Amazon is is not fundamentally in a bad bad position here. But regardless, Amazon sold down 12%. And since I have a significant portion of my portfolio on Amazon, it has an outsized effect on my performance, causing it to drop down uh, a little bit more here. So this is what it looks like overall. Obviously, it looks ugly right now. I'm underperforming as of right now. But keep in mind, this has gone both ways. In fact, the majority of the past year, my portfolio has been above the S&P 500. So it's gone through time periods of outperformance. Just over the past four months, it's been hit a lot. There's been huge sell-offs in different companies. And tech in general is having a very difficult time because of this market rotation. So while I'd like to outperform, preferably over every single time period, that would require me to do a lot of swing trading and moving into different trades like the oil consumer defensive trade instead of just dollar cost averaging in and focusing on companies that I think are really good value within the tech portfolio. So I'm not really doing that swing trading. I realize I'm going to underperform as long as interest rates are the main headline, but I'm willing to go through that in the meantime. So I know a lot of you are looking at this and thinking $30,000 in losses. There's no way I can put this back into the green and catch up against the S&P 500, right? And I don't blame you. If you think that, that's fine. But again, I'm going to be tracking this every week, week by week until the end of 2025. So if you want to see how this turns out, and if I'm able to catch up against SPY, just subscribe to the channel and you can follow along for free. You can find out with me because I don't know the future. Uh, Maybe I'll catch back up. Maybe I won't. Either way, we'll find out together. Now, I want to go through what I think has gone on right now and the valuation of the companies that I own in my portfolio. Like I said, I only own nine companies now, one of which I consider to be speculative, which is Spotify. And it's a very small holding. So basically what I've done is I've moved out all the speculative tech companies and I've piled into companies that I consider to be a lot less speculative. These are the blue chip tech companies that I think are trading at a very, very attractive valuations, especially considering the recent sell-off in these companies. I think some of them have been heavily oversold. So let me try to go ahead and illustrate this point of valuation. The first thing that I want to point out is, again, we are in a fearful posture right now. Everyone's afraid of Jerome Powell and what he's going to say and interest rates and inflation and the big recession that's going to happen, right? Everyone generally right now is pessimistic and bearish, and that is something that is objectively clear. In fact, if we look over at a timeline, we're still in the fear category, and we've gone from times of extreme 
greed, when companies were trading really high, down to this fearful category. So that's where we sit right now. The S&P 500 on a forward-looking basis is trading at an 18.6 Ford PE. So we can round that up to like a 19, right? It's trading at a 19 Ford PE. Let's go ahead and look at some companies and their valuations that aren't in my portfolio. We have Procter & Gamble trading at a 26 Ford PE. Consumer defensive company, very mature, not really going any place real fast, but it's a defensive company that's good to hold during recessions, right? It'll it'll maintain the amount of money that you have. Trading at a 26 Ford PE. We have Kimberly Clark, very similar company, trading at a 24. So these are both trading at a very much premium to the rest of the market. The rest of the market's trading at an 18 or 19. And we have Procter & Gamble at a 26, Kimberly Clark at a 24. We have the Clorox company at a 26.6 Ford PE. All of these companies are trading at a premium to the rest of the market. We have McDonald's trading at a 25 Ford PE. And we have Costco trading at a 40 Ford PE because Costco is the ultimate defense company that still is growing at a somewhat decent pace. But you look at these type of companies, Costco, McDonald's, Clorox, Kimberly Clark. And if you were invested in those type of companies, you were doing fine. You're not having any trouble. The investors that are having trouble right now are the ones invested in tech companies because these are the ones that you sell off when interest rates go higher. So let's go ahead and take a look at some of these companies. Amazon is my top holding, my biggest conviction over the next five years. The company on paper still looks expensive right now. So if you're basing this company off of just a normalized PE ratio, if that's the way that you're trading it, it should trade down another 50% if you're just basing it off of PE. But Amazon's one of these companies that is clearly still in the investment stage. They did massive amounts of investments last quarter and throughout the last year. In fact, just last quarter, this is almost comical how much free cash flow they had negative. Minus 17.7 billion free cash flow in a three-month period. That is a massive amount of free cash flow. The earnings, of course, were in the negative, a terrible headline because of the Rivian stake, the big write down there. So they had minus $3.8 billion in, in earnings there. The balance sheet is fine of the company, but even the EPS shot into the negative because of the Rivian stake. So this is a very scary way to look at Amazon. But the thing that I pay attention to, and the reason that I'm still bullish on this company is because they did over $60 billion of CapEx investment over the trailing 12 months. Over $60 billion, which is more than any other big tech company, Apple and Microsoft included, and they did that without diluting the shareholder at all. Their shares outstanding didn't go up at all, meaning they they invested $60 billion into growing their network to double the size, hiring hundreds of thousands of new employees to keep up with demand, and they did that without diluting the shareholder at all. That is pretty incredible. And in my opinion, I think that Amazon will be one of the biggest free cash flow generating machines over the next five years. That thesis has not changed because they're doing lots of investments over the next couple of quarters, or they've done them in the past year. That doesn't change the amount of free cash flow that they'll generate in the future unless it's to the positive. So I see the investments that Amazon's doing, even though it causes short-term pain and investors are running for the exits, I see it as an opportunity. And I remain very bullish on this company over the next five years. I feel very confident personally. And again, you don't have to follow me into these investments, but I feel very confident personally that I'll make a lot of money on this company. I will not end up in the red with it. And I'm using this dip, this opportunity to buy more shares of the company. So I'll continue adding to my position 
as Amazon trades down this year. Now, just to go over these next ones quickly, my next biggest bet is Google, which I also think is heavily undervalued, and it's being sold off in these basket of tech companies. Google trades at a 24 PE ratio, while the S&P 500 trades at a 19. So you're paying one PE ratio higher for Google, knowing that it's a company that has a massive moat. They're doing massive amounts of share buybacks. They have $100 billion of cash over the amount of debt they have. And again, keep in mind that Kimberly Clark, Procter & Gamble, McDonald's, all these companies that are laden with debt and they don't have much growth are trading at almost double the PE ratio of Google. So when I look at this, I think this company is probably undervalued. We have Microsoft, another company that I think is undervalued. Microsoft is my third biggest holding. It trades at a 26 PE ratio. It grows its free cash flow consistently while buying back shares consistently. And I see a lot of growth in the future of Microsoft with their cloud service growing at 50% year over year. We have Netflix. This is the one that's struggling right now. Netflix's story has been terrible for the past year. It's traded down like crazy. I'm in the red and it would be easy just to sell out of this company. But I have to keep in mind that now it trades at an 18 Ford PE ratio. So it's literally cheaper than the S&P 500. If you're pricing this based on a price to earnings basis, I think this company is just, it's just too cheap for me to sell out right now. And even though I expect a very terrible earnings report next quarter, I could easily see Netflix trading down even more. I think that over the full year basis, they might actually be able to grow subscribers when we factor in Q4. So right now, this company looks like you know, a broken company, lots of competition. It's no longer growing, but again, it's priced at an 18. Now, next up, we have Alibaba. This company has just traded down basically on general fears of China and the Chinese government. And the whole conflict with Ukraine has not helped this situation. It's not helped investors become more confident in investing in Chinese companies. And you can see that by what it's being priced at. It's being priced with a Ford PE of 10.6. So right around 10 to 11, And this is a company, again, that's being priced at around half of what the average company is in the U.S. while growing around twice the speed of the average company in the U.S. So this is a very cheap priced company on paper. But I think as long as the the issues with China loom over investors, I think that will overshadow the company and what the fundamentals are doing. So this is one that I've just held on to. I haven't doubled down on it. I don't have the guts to just continue pouring money into this company. You know, I am putting more money on Amazon but not Alibaba. For right now, I'm just holding on to it. I think there's a good chance that it will recover over time, uh, but I just don't want to risk more and more money on this company. Now, there are two companies that I've upped my positions in, which are these next two, Salesforce and Adobe, because I consider these companies to be very much blue chip technology companies. Salesforce and Adobe are two companies that, again, they're blue chip tech companies that will post good earnings in any market environment, I think even during recessions. And even though they trade at a high P.E. ratio, keep in mind what you're buying is the free cash flow from the company, the amount of actual money they're able to generate in free cash flow. And Salesforce knows how to grow free cash flow. Look at this free cash flow growth over the past five years. They've grown their share count. It's true that they've diluted shareholders by around 40%. But over that same time period that they've diluted shareholders over 40%, they've grown free cash flow over 160%. So on a per share basis, they're growing your free cash flow at a rapid pace. And I think they'll continue to do that in the future. I consider this company to be undervalued right now. I think, again, the sell-off is largely due to macro trends. And I feel the same way about Adobe. Adobe is a company that trades at a 28 Ford PE ratio in line with companies like McDonald's and Clorox and Kimberly Clark, even cheaper than a lot of them. And it's growing its revenue faster. 
much faster than those companies. It has a bigger moat, in my opinion, a better balance sheet, and it's a free cash flow generating machine. This company's growing its free cash flow like crazy, literally 5Xing it over the past five years. And it's doing that while doing share buybacks. In my opinion, Adobe is an outstanding deal right now in the market. And to me, it makes perfect sense that during this time period, even Q1, at a higher price than what it is right now, Fundsmith, Terry Smith has added Adobe to his portfolio. So he thought this was a high quality company to add to his portfolio. And I agree with him here. And I would not be surprised if Terry Smith bought more Amazon after this sell-off as well. I think, in fact, there's a very good chance he will. So Salesforce and Adobe are two companies I'm very bullish on right now. I like the valuation and I consider them to be very dependable blue chip, free cash flow growing companies. I think they'll grow consistent free cash flow in the future. Apple, obviously, we already know this company is a great company. If we look at the valuation of it, um, even Apple's traded down to a price where Warren Buffett just recently bought more of it. He bought $600 million more of Apple at $150 a share. So this company is trading at an attractive enough price that even Warren Buffett is upping his stake in it while owning 40% of his portfolio just in Apple. And that's trading at a 26 Ford PE. There's no validation on the value of a company other than Warren Buffett upping his stake in it after he already has 40%. I don't know what it is. I think that's pretty good validation that Apple's attractively valued. Now, the last one I have is Spotify. And this is one that's a very small holding. I've decided to keep it into the portfolio as my only speculative play, meaning this one is not a very established free cash flow generating company. In fact, Spotify generates roughly no free cash flow. And by that, I mean, if you look at their free cash flow, it is positive quarter over quarter, but they're diluting the shareholder at a faster speed. So if you adjust for dilution, this company really is not, not making any free cash flow gains for the investor. Despite that the company continues to grow, I think that they have a long-term thesis, so I've decided to hold on to this one. But honestly, Spotify is a very difficult company to hold. I've considered selling this one along with the rest of the speculative companies and moving the money into Adobe or Salesforce or Microsoft, one of these companies. So overall, excluding Spotify as the only remaining speculative small bet in my portfolio, outside of Spotify, every single company in my portfolio is focused on companies that are blue chip technology companies that generate meaningful amounts of free cash flow. And I think they'll be able to grow their free cash flow they generate considerably over the next five years. I look at Amazon as an example of that. Investors are concerned about how much free cash flow this company can generate. And I feel very confident over the next five years, you'll see that number go up considerably. So that has been the major focus and the change over the past six months is moving my portfolio from the more speculative tech companies into the more free cash flow generative ones and focusing on that as being the major output Free cash flow is a major output that I'm putting emphasis on. So there's a little look at the performance and what's happened so far. I'll have more of these updates out in the future. So again, you can subscribe and follow along for free. That's all for this time. See you in the next one.